0: Thanks, Aidan. I'm Cara. I'm going to be doing the Bible reading today. It's Romans 5, 12 to 21, so I'll give you a second. That should be in the handouts that you got. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
1: Thanks, Cara. Um, While I just get some things set up here, you might like to turn to the person next to you and just discuss who is the most influential person in your life. Okay, you've got one minute, go for it. i so angry. <laughs> Does anyone want to tell us who the most influential person in their life has been? Tim Tim Thorburn. Funny, that's what Sam Thomas said as well. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone else? (laughs) Javis? Wow. Cool. Ah, thank you. Um, I was hoping someone might say that eventually. (laughs) Uh, If you want to understand me, though, if you really want to get to know me, uh, you need to know my dad. Uh... (laughs) So, uh, my dad grew up in Western Sydney, a fairly quiet sort of kid, the second son of Christian parents. Yeah, fairly quiet. Uh, In fact, painfully shy at school, he tells me, uh, partly because he had really bad eyesight. Uh, But he was smart. Uh, In fact, he's much smarter than me. He was one of the top students in mathematics in his year at school. Uh, He studied science at Sydney Uni before moving to Perth, and then uh, got into medicine at UWA when he was about 24, and he met my mum at church not long after. They got married when he was 27, I moved into a duplex in Adderdale, and I was born about a year later in Adderdale General Hospital. In 1989, Mum and Dad decided that we'd move to Donnybrook, uh, so Dad could work there as a GP, and that's where I grew up. Uh, My Dad, he loves my Mum, uh, he loves Jesus, he reads his Bible, he prays every morning. um, And although you'd have to describe him as an introvert... Uh, He's not as shy as he once was as a boy. He's managed to overcome that. He's got strong convictions that are shaped by the gospel, uh, but he loves people as well. Uh, He's firm but kind, uh, even to those who are very different from him. And he loves buying and reading books. Uh, Now, for those of you who know a little bit about me, uh, you're starting to see some of why I'm the way I am. Uh, you know, a little shy, a little introverted, uh, likes reading books, um, believes the gospel. And you can see something about how influential my dad has been in my life. Uh, lots of who I am, the choices that I've made, they've been shaped by him. Uh, not by external pressure from him, as though he's sort of forced me to do the kind of things that he would like. But just by, being, by virtue of being his son. I'm just kind of like him. What about you? Who's the most influential person in your life? Who do we need to know about to understand you? Maybe it's your mum. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's Tim or Javis. Maybe it's a friend or an enemy. Who is the most influential person in your life? Well, the Bible actually says that the most influential person in all our lives is someone that we've never met. So have a look with me there at verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, where Paul writes, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And if you know your Bible, then you know that he's talking about Genesis. He's talking about Genesis chapter 3 in particular. God made Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by fruit trees, enjoying relationship with each other and with himself. And God said to Adam, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil symbolised deciding good and evil for themselves. It's not that they were unaware of what was good and evil beforehand. Uh, They were perfectly aware that it was wrong to eat from the tree. Uh, It was right not to. It's not about uh, learning what's good and evil. It's actually about choosing to decide for yourself what is good and evil instead of letting God be in charge of that. But eat from it, they do. Instead of listening to God... Adam and Eve listen to the serpent, and they eat from the tree. They rebel against God. They sin, to use the Bible's language. And because they sinned, God expelled them from the garden. He cut them off from the tree of life, from relationship with him. He brought death as a punishment for sin. I mean, after all, if you reject the creator, the one who gives you life, what do you think is going to happen? If you reject God, of course death is the punishment. And so, says Paul, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. The significance of this is that Adam's choice doesn't just affect him. It actually affects all of us. Because in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now, that takes a little bit of unpacking, doesn't it? What exactly does Paul mean when he says that? How can Adam's sin bring death to us? Are we guilty because Adam sinned? When Paul says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, does he mean that all sinned in Adam? That is, that... We were all kind of back there in our ancestor, our greatest grandfather. And because of his choice, in his choice, we were kind of involved in that. We chose to do it as well. And so we're guilty before we're even born. Is that what he's saying? Uh, Some people have certainly thought that. But I don't think that is what he's saying. So the Bible says multiple times parents are not to be put to death for their children nor children put to death for their parents each will die for their own sin and in fact the whole point of what Paul has been saying in chapters 1 to 3 of Romans is not that we all die because one guy sinned but in fact that all sin and therefore all die whether you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter all of us by nature rebel against God. We're guilty for our own sin. So what does Paul mean here then? So he's not saying this, that Adam sins and he dies and therefore we die as a direct line. He's saying something else a little bit different. He's saying that Adam introduced sin into the world. He died as a consequence of his sin. But that because he brings in sin, we all die as well because we all sin. We die for our own sin, but Adam introduced it. He brought it in to start with. You think, oh, but Ben, that doesn't actually make things any better. Because, you know, I didn't choose to be infected with sin. It's not my fault that I'm a sinner. That's actually Adam's fault. So I'm still actually kind of getting blamed for what Adam did. It's kind of like Christopher Hitchens used to say, that the God of the Bible creates us sick and commands us to be well. Isn't that unfair? Like, why is that my fault? It's not my fault that I'm sick. Why does God blame me? That's a good question. And do you feel the weight of it? Am I unjustly being condemned because of the sin of another? It's a weighty question, but I think there are some problems with what Hitchens says. There are some assumptions that he's smuggled into the statement, whether it's conscious or unconscious. Firstly, you've got to ask, is sin really like a sickness in the way that Hitchens talks about it? Is it actually something that I have no choice about? That I just can't... I'm forced to sin as though, like, there's a gun to my head and I have no choice. Do you sin because you have no other option? I don't think so. I think when I sin, I sin because I want to. I choose to do it. I freely choose to do it. And because of that... I'm guilty before God. I deserve death. So it's not quite like a sickness in the way that Hitchens implies. But secondly, and this is kind of more where Paul is going with this passage, Hitchens, like most of us in the West, thinks far too individualistically about himself. As though we've all been created out of nothing. As though God directly created me a sinner. He could have created me sinless, but he didn't. He chose to create me a sinner. But that's not quite true. Because I have parents. And I'm affected by their choices. And they're affected by the choices of their parents, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents. And and actually all the way back to our great, great, greatest grandparent. Back to Adam and Eve. And that's just what happens when you have parents. Their choices affect you. In fact, the only way you can avoid uh, being affected by your parents' choices is to have other parents, completely different ones. And it's the same with sin. See, did I choose to be born outside the Garden of Eden? Did I choose to be born out of relationship with God? No, of course not. I had no say in that whatsoever. It is purely down to the choices of my greatest grandfather, Adam. But he is my greatest grandfather. And his choices affect me. I'm part of his family. God didn't arbitrarily create me sinful. No, he created me a child of Adam. And therefore, the choices of my greatest grandfather affect me. I inherit the consequences of his choices. In fact, how could it be any different? Because that's what being a child means. You inherit what your parents have chosen. I didn't choose to live in Australia. I was just born here. It's purely due to the choices of my parents. Here I am, an Australian. Although, actually, I kind of like it here. I've kind of decided I want to stay here, because I do like being in Australia. It's a bit the same with sin, isn't it? Am I born in sin because of my own choice? No. But is anyone holding a gun to my head forcing me to sin? No. I'm freely choosing to do it. I kind of like it here in my little sinful kingdom. I freely choose to sin and I'm rightly condemned by God for it. But where did my taste for sin come from? Well, it actually came from my greatest grandparent, Adam. He's the most influential person in everyone's life. Sin entered the world through one man, says Paul, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. And if this is the situation we're all in, what can you do about it? Because if your parents have made that choice, if you're here because of their decisions and yet you're still sort of choosing to be here because you've developed the family taste, you've been born with the family taste for sin, what's the solution? Paul's about to say, Jesus. Jesus is the solution. He started in verse 12 with, just as... And you kind of expect us, so also. And if you scan the passage, you can realise that it does come up. We sort of think it should say something like, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, so also justification entered the world through one man, Jesus, and life through justification. That is what he goes on to say in verse 18. In verse 18, he restates verse 12, and then he adds the corresponding bit about Jesus. But he doesn't actually go there immediately. He kind of breaks off halfway through verse 12. Why does he do that? Well, because before he gets to Jesus as the solution to sin, he needs to deal with what most of his fellow Jews think is the solution. He needs to deal with the law. See, if I'm born in sin, if I'm, uh, I'm prone to sin, if I'm biased towards it because of the choices of my ancestor, what is the solution? Well, lots of us would say, well, just tell me what the right thing to do is. Tell me what not to do. Tell me what I ought to do. And I'll go do the thing that I ought to do. Sounds logical. But in fact, it doesn't work. people are sinful, how do you get them to be righteous? Well, just giving them the law doesn't quite work. Verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. That is, yeah, sure, sin's there before the law's given, but does the law help? No. In actual fact, if anything, the law makes it worse. See, because before, you, before the law, you can still sin, you can rebel against God, but it's kind of this vague sort of, it's hard to exactly put your finger on it. Uh, what, have, what rule did I break? Well, when there are no rules, you didn't kind of break any. But when the law comes, you actually have black and white charges laid against your account. You did this wrong, and you did that wrong. You sinned here, 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 and here. You break this commandment, this commandment, this commandment, this commandment. You end up with a charge sheet, an account, a tally of all the things that you've done wrong. We might think that law actually stops sin, but it doesn't. All it does is enable you to make a record of it, to highlight it, to show you all the stuff that you have done wrong. So did God make a mistake in giving the law then? Well, says Paul, no, not at all. The law highlights sin, but it didn't create it. Sin was there even when there was no law, all the way from Adam to Moses. Got generation after generation with no law. And yet, he says, sin is still there. How do you know? Because people keep dying. That's the penalty for sin. one person after the next, generation after generation, they all die. They haven't broken a commandment like Adam did. He had an explicit command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, they are still rebels against God. You can still be a rebel, even when you haven't broken any particular law, even when the law doesn't exist. Everyone died, even those who didn't break an explicit commandment. The law doesn't deal with sin, and yet just getting rid of the law won't solve the problem either. Sin still needs to be dealt with. And Jesus, says Paul, is the one who deals with that. Let me pause for a moment and ask, uh, how many of you have studied English Lit or English at school? Pretty much everyone. It is compulsory to do English still, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little hard to tell sometimes, but um, I don't know if, uh, if they still do this, but um, a lot of the essay questions that I remember getting were sort of compare and contrast questions. Do you remember that kind of thing? Like compare and contrast the role of Daisy and Gatsby in The Great Gatsby, for example. That, that sort of thing's familiar? Yeah, cool. Well, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He does a compare and a contrast in this passage. But his question, his essay question is, compare and contrast Adam's sin with God's gift through Jesus. And the compare really happens in verses 18 and 19, where he writes, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. That is, Adam sinned, he crossed the line, he trespassed, he went where he shouldn't have, he took and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God had explicitly told him not to, and as a result, all of us are born with a taste for sin, a bias towards it. And we are condemned for our sin, for the sin we commit. But in the same way that Adam's, consequences had, uh, Adam's action had consequences for many, for all, in fact, Jesus' action has consequences for all. His one righteous act of obedience Offering himself on the cross to pay for our sin. That made justification and life available for all people. You compare Jesus and Adam. Jesus is like Adam. One guy made one decision that had consequences for all people. Well, Jesus did the same. His one action, his death on the cross, had consequences for all people. But the problem with comparing Adam and Jesus is that it's not quite fair. It doesn't exactly do Jesus justice. Uh, And that's why Paul slots in verses 15 to 17 before he gets to verse 18. He was about to compare Jesus and Adam in verse 12. But to say that Jesus is just kind of the equal but opposite of Adam vastly undersells Jesus. You can see it there in verse 15. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, you can compare Adolf Hitler and Edward Jenner. They're both massively influential people. But they're actually totally different. Hitler killed millions of people. Jenner, the guy who invented the smallpox vaccine, saved millions of lives. They may be similar in that they both affect millions of people but to say that Edward Jenner is like Adolf Hitler is vastly to muck it up you haven't understood them at all it's the same with Adam and Jesus they're similar in that their actions affect millions of people but the effects are totally radically different Adam's sin brings a guilty verdict after one trespass and ultimately leads to a guilty verdict for everyone because everyone sins. But God's gracious gift of Jesus comes after gazillions of sins for thousands of years and brings a not guilty verdict for the same sinners. It's reasonable to bring a guilty verdict after a sin. That's What you expect. That's how courts work. To bring a not guilty verdict after millions of sins is extraordinary, almost unbelievable. If death reigns over us because of Adam, well, how much better is Jesus who enables us to reign over death? It's easy to kill people, it's much harder to enable people to kill death. But that is what Jesus has done. So the question it all boils down to, really, is who is the most influential person in your life? You've got to choose someone. As um, Bob Dylan famously sung, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And by nature... All of us are descendants of Adam. He's our greatest grandfather, and it is just natural that you will be affected by your greatest grandfather's actions. We're all born outside the garden because of what he did. We're all born with a taste for sin. We all choose to sin as a result. That's natural. That's just what happens when you're a descendant of Adam. But what Paul is saying is that God, in his grace, has done something completely new. Something that no one expected. He's given us the gift of Jesus, his son. So that Adam actually no longer needs to be the most influential person in your life. Instead, we can have Jesus, who brings justification and righteousness and eternal life. We no longer need to be part of the problem, which we are by default, but we can actually be part of Jesus, the solution. Trying to keep the rules won't make you right. It won't sort you out with God. In fact, it'll only highlight your failure. What we need is not a new law in the kingdom of death. What we need is to be rescued from the kingdom of death and brought into the kingdom of life. And that's exactly what Jesus does. If we just have a law in the kingdom of death, then we'll only get what we deserve, and what we deserve is death. If we want life, we don't need new rules. We need grace. So that we get what we don't deserve. We need a grace so abundant that no matter how much we sin, that grace will soak it up and take it away. And Paul says that's exactly what you get in Jesus. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It's like some kind of super absorbent sponge that just mops up all the muck that you spilt on the counter. And it doesn't matter how much you put in, it just soaks it up. It's true, isn't it, When when you think about it, that however much you sin. Jesus' grace is sufficient. The law was brought in, he says in verse 20, so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. By nature, we belong to the realm of the dead. That's just the result of being the descendants of Adam. Our greatest grandfather moved countries. He left the Garden of Eden. And took up residence outside it, out of relationship with God, in the land of sin and death. And we have been living there ever since, because we're his great, great, greatest grandchildren. We still choose to live there, we haven't decided to leave, but Paul is saying you can decide to leave. Now the visa restrictions are gone. You can enter this new country. You can come into the kingdom of God's son. A kingdom where grace reigns through the righteousness that Jesus has brought by his death on the cross. So that we no longer have to live in sin and death, but can rejoice in the realm of life. You can actually move countries. You can actually change parents, in a sense. You no longer have to be controlled by your father, Adam. Now you can belong to your father, God. By nature, Adam is the most influential person in your life. And we often feel that, don't we? We feel the weight of sin and its power over us. And Satan whispers in our ear and says, You can't fight this. This is just who you are. This is what you've always done. This is what people have done for millennia. You can't change. It's who you are. But God says, no, that is not true. That is not true. If you put your faith in Jesus, my son, my verdict is no longer guilty. It is righteous. And you have eternal life. So the question is, Who do you want to be the most influential person in your life? Do you want to keep it with Adam? Or do you actually want to move countries and take up residence with Jesus in his kingdom? And let him be the person who controls your destiny, who controls your eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. That because of him, we're no longer trapped in the sins and mistakes of our forefathers and our ultimate forefather, Adam. But through him, we enjoy grace and forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life. Father, help us to trust him and to rejoice
0: (coughs) in all that he has done for us. And we ask it in his name. Amen.